Good morning, everyone. Good morning. <laughs> such, a, such a nice day today compared to yesterday. Although I don't mind yesterday's weather because if you can see from my pasty white skin, the sun and I aren't really friends. So I quite enjoyed yesterday more than I probably am today. Um, this morning's message uh, from... Usually from where I'm compiling, I know kind of how roughly how long they're going to be. I don't think it's going to be too long. But my goal this morning is not, is for you guys to be actually convicted, more so than encouraged. I was listening to um, a, an interview with a guy named Michael Yusuf, you guys probably would know from the radio. And I haven't listened to this guy in a really long time. Um, but he's a preacher from Atlanta, Georgia, who I used to listen to quite a lot when I was a teenager. And he really helped me uh, in that period of time when it came to my faith and questions and um, a few issues that I was going through myself. And I found this interview with him and, and, I, and I listened to it because I, I quite liked this guy um, when I was younger. And listening to him talk about his church, uh, he's got a church of about 3,000 members, not just attendees, but members. And he was saying that people from around America, when they visit his church, they they go there not to hear um, a watered down gospel. They go there to hear, they know they're gonna hear what he calls the unvarnished truth. They're not gonna hear something that um, is going to be fluffy, for a better word. And that's the way he described uh, the culture in America in terms of the churches there. He, so he saw church attendance low, but he didn't attribute this to, um, he attributed this actually to watered down preaching because he found, he was told that he could actually have 12,000 people attend his church if he didn't make membership so difficult. <laughs> and I quite, I quite found that, I found that really refreshing to hear. So this morning, I hope my sermon, I don't want you just to leave encouraged, but hopefully convicted. Not by my words, but by simply because what you're going to hear from the Word of God. So before we pray, I'm just going to read one verse. And it's found in Ezekiel 34, verse 31. And it says, You are my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Sovereign Lord. Let us bow our heads in prayer one more time before we enter into His Word. Father, we we thank you, Lord, for bringing us here together. We thank you, God, that we are drawn here, not simply just to be with one another, but because we want to be with you. We thank you that you welcome us into your presence. And it is by your grace that we are allowed to stand before you. We thank you for all that you do for us. We thank you that you have given us a truth that is unwavering. And when challenged, stands firm. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for what it does to us, Lord. Whether it makes us uncomfortable or whether it gives us joy. I pray, Father, this morning that everyone everyone encounters you. That your Holy Spirit speaks to every person here. And that the message doesn't stay here, but it leaves with everyone. I thank you for all that you do for us, Father. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So during my last sermon, the identity of Jesus was revealed to one man through a miracle of receiving his sight, his physical sight. And that gave him 
spiritual sight. So in my last sermon, I spoke about the blind man in John chapter 9. Now, the blind man's identity through his encounter with Jesus and the religious had transformed his life. And yet the religious leaders who Jesus challenged at the end, although they were witness to this miracle, did not change. Now, I made a comment last time, and I said that I believe that even Christians get Jesus wrong. And I stand by this. Not out of arrogance or to be difficult, but the view of God and the view of Jesus that you have will ultimately determine how you have a relationship with God. If we only view God as a, as a loving God and don't really want the other attributes of God, well then that's all we're going to have. And we're not going to have the fullness of what He wants us to have. In this culture, we just want good vibes and we want just a positive feeling. And what God offers us is positive. But it also does something different to us as well. So as I said, I believe even Christians can get Jesus wrong. And for me, you can talk all you want about Christian behaviour. However, this comes to me secondary on a solid foundation in the Gospel. Now what I mean by this is that we first surrender to Christ through repentance. And then we allow Him to transform us. And then we see the fruits of this. And sometimes these fruits and values do clash with what's around us. And this is where the challenge comes to Christians. So what I love about Jesus is that he too experienced difficulties with his message amongst those who he gave it to. And he wasn't just a troublemaker, just stirring society because he felt like it. But it's because his message stirred the very heart of those who listened to him. So don't be fooled. His message still challenges the very core of the people today. No matter who you meet, at least in Western society, and even in most cultures around the world, will have an opinion on who Jesus is. His identity and his very presence challenge people. Because he challenges people to do nothing else but look within themselves and see where they stand between, before God. And this is true for our time as it has been since he was here. Now in the Gospels, Jesus gives us more than on one occasion a correct view on who he is. He is the son of God who has come to reveal the kingdom of God and he died for the sin of the world to restore everyone to the Father. Now, only he alone could do this. No one before him or after him will ever accomplish what he accomplished. An acknowledgement of Jesus is acknowledgement of God. So today we're going to look at a portion of scripture as a follow-on from my last sermon. So last time we looked at John chapter 9, and today we're going to look at John chapter 10, verses 1 to 21. Now, I have no doubt that we are all very well aware of this portion of scripture. You've heard it probably many times. But I think it's so relevant for us to continue to grasp with no matter how long we've been a Christian for. I'm so thankful for the gospel writers that 
on what they've documented because it still challenges me and it keeps me in line and keeps my heart in line with God's. Now, before we read this scripture, like I said, this is a continuation from chapter 9. So in the previous chapter, it finishes with Jesus challenging the Jewish leaders about his identity, the Son of Man, who he is. And so now, from that on, then on, we go into chapter 10. And this is what it says. Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run from us from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used his figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Who, whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it, in the, have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen, but I must bring them also. They also will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No, one takes, no, one takes if, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down for my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. The command I received from my father. The Jews who had heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why, why listen to him? But others said, These are not sayings of a, possessed, of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Now we have here, from what I see, a very powerful scripture. The whole way through Jesus' is, throughout the Gospels, he's sharing who he is and what his identity is and people struggling with it. Now, in verses 1 to 6, he declares, he gives an analogy of a shepherd and, and sheep and he shows it in context of who he is to people. Now, Jesus is speaking to religious leaders and ones who are experts in the law and in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. 
Now, Jesus knows that they believe in the Old Testament, that they don't question it. We saw in chapter 9 that when they were uh, interrogating the blind man, that they say, we know God spoke to Moses. They don't have any issues with what the Old Testament says. But in this discourse, Jesus uses Old Testament teaching about God to show who he is because the analogy of a shepherd is a continuation of what, how God is in the Old Testament. Now, on a side note, I would encourage you guys, I don't have time, but read Ezekiel 34 in comparison with, with this. And you'll see, the, 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 well, not just the parallels, how Jesus is drawing of who he is from Scripture. Now, in, in Ezekiel 34, God is addressing bad shepherds of his people as they have strayed the people from God. And God being a true shepherd of his people. So when Jesus is talking with these leaders, they would have understood where he was coming from. He didn't use any analogies that were foreign to them because he had a direct message to give them. And he does not even flip this, he doesn't even flip the scripture around. He directly points to I am God through the Old Testament. Because he identifies himself as the shepherd. The one who is the access point to God. The one who restores people back to God. Now what Jesus does more importantly, he shows what a good shepherd looks like and what a bad shepherd looks like. So in verses 1 to 6, we have this analogy that sheep walk into the pen through the gate. Sounds pretty logical. And when out of the pen... They listen to their shepherd. Now, the way Jesus describes the shepherd and the sheep appears to be very intimate in nature. The shepherd goes ahead of the sheep to make sure that where they go, they'll be safe. And the sheep only recognize the shepherd's voice when out of the pen. And we'll see later what a good shepherd looks like. Now, the people listening... When they, when they hear the initial analogy, that they don't get it. Now, Jesus then makes things very clear. In verses 7 to 10, he identifies himself as the gate. He says, I am the gate. The picture of the sheep and the shepherd was, a common, was very common in, um, in, 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 Medita- in the Mediterranean world, where the sheepfolds were actually connected to the, uh, to, to the house. It wasn't like in many of our farms today where you've got the house and you've got pens scattered far away. The sheepfold was literally connected to the house. Which is a cool analogy for God's people connected to, to our Father. Now Jesus identifies himself as the gate for the sheep and those who enter into the pen enter through him. Those who enter through Jesus into the sheepfold will be safe and find themselves under the protection of a good shepherd. Now, another way into the sheepfold, which is the incorrect way, is what robbers and thieves would do. The gate is clearly closed to them and so they can only break in to disturb the sheep. But those who enter through Jesus have full life. 
And they have a shepherd who protects them from the thieves and the robbers. Now in verse 11, Jesus declares himself to be a good shepherd. We see before Jesus describes himself as the gate, and now he talks about himself as the actual shepherd. Can he be both? Sure. <laughs> so the death, of, the, the death of Jesus actually holds together both these metaphors. It wasn't trying to be complicated here. Um, where we're, we enter through the gate and we're given abundant life through a shepherd who cares for his sheep. Now this whole time I've been saying good shepherd. However, the word used for good here is called kalos, which actually means true. So Jesus wasn't saying I'm the good shepherd. He's saying I am the true shepherd for my people. In comparison with Ezekiel 34, God is the only authentic shepherd for his people. And therefore Jesus shows that I am the only real shepherd for humanity. After this declaration as the true shepherd, Jesus explains what a good and a bad shepherd looks like. So in verses 12 to 13, we see what a bad shepherd looks like. We see that a, shepherd, a bad shepherd does not have a personal connection with the sheep because they are a temporary carer. They are a hired hand. They're hired only to look out for the sheep. But really, if anything was to happen to them, because they have no connection to their sheep, if danger comes, they're going to look out for their own interests and they're going to run away. Danger that could have been prevented by a true shepherd of sheep that he cares for. So we see a hired hand is only good for minding but not to offer true life. We see in verse 14 to 16 what a good shepherd looks like. Now Jesus tells us what a true shepherd is. And he says this, I know my sheep and they know me. As I said earlier, a true shepherd has an intimate relationship with his sheep. And the sheep have an intimate relationship with the shepherd. Because when with them, him, they know him and they can trust him. Jesus says he's adding to his pen. And he goes out to get more sheep to enter into his flock. And Jesus will bring those who choose to hear the call of the true shepherd. Jesus seeks to have a unified flock and to have one shepherd. What image does Jesus give us here as a community of faith? For our community of faith, our identity is Jesus' identity. Our identity as Christians is based on who Jesus is and all who gather around him are his true flock and they are the only ones who find abundant life. Now how do we know our identity is in Jesus? Well, he says it. His sheep listen to his voice. His voice is the source of our unity. If we're listening to other voices, we are divided in our direction. If we're all tuned into the same frequency, then we are unified. 
Now, Jesus is, we also know we are part of Jesus' flock and have abundant life because we enter his sheepfold through him. That is the entrance into his family. And a member of Jesus' flock, Jesus' flock knows that they are with a shepherd who will die for them. Doesn't offer them anything that is cheap. Now in verse 17 to 18, this is where he goes to say, the true shepherd will lay down their life for their flock. The true shepherd will do what it takes to ensure the flock is safe. Now Jesus' death was done in com- completely in relationship to God. It was his ultimate expression of love to his father by laying down his life to fulfill his dad's plan. Now Jesus lays down his life in obedience to the father to ensure that the sheep are safe and that the sheep will have abundant life. His death reveals God's plan but it also reveals victory because he says that he didn't take, his life is not taken but it's brought back up. I don't know about you but this is such a powerful message for me in John chapter 10. There's so much to it but I encourage you guys to keep going in, um, in, in, your, in, in looking into it and discovering how much more deeper this goes. Now, all who hear this message will need to see where they relate to when it comes to Jesus' flock. Because Jesus shows us that we are all in need of a true shepherd. And those, who, and those who he's talking to, the religious leaders, are the ones who are leading the sheep astray. Now this whole discourse has been with religious leaders. And it comes to verse 19 and 21, where there is conflict once again about what Jesus is saying. This is nothing new. And they're divided. Some think he's demon-possessed, and others seem to believe him. Because I don't believe these words can be from a demon. So as we look at John chapter 10, these verses that we've looked about, the Good Shepherd. Some interpretations may be about what a pastor looks like with their sheep and what leadership looks like for their church. However, this has nothing, John, this has nothing to do with that. John's message is clear that this is all about how we relate to Jesus. His focus is completely on the message of who Jesus is and it challenges us to look at ourselves and see who we are before God and before Jesus, even if we say we are Christians. John's focus is about Jesus' desire and willingness to save us from peril. We are offered all sorts of shepherds in this world. And we belong to all different kinds of flocks in this world. Don't be fooled. (laughs) We belong to, we can belong to many different shepherds. Because we are offered many different shepherds. 
But will they guarantee your safety? Will your shepherd give you abundant life? Now, Jesus doesn't necessarily talk about giving us a comfortable life here. But he does talk about being safe. And what is he talking about being safe from? He saves us from the wrath of God. He brings us, all who are in his flock, are connected to the Father's house. As we saw earlier, the sheep pen is connected to the Father's house. And those who enter Jesus' flock have access to the Father. So who is your shepherd? And that's just something for you to ask yourselves and ask those around you as well as you challenge them to ask who their shepherd is too. Ezekiel 34 verse 31. God says, You are my sheep, shepherd, the sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Sovereign Lord. I hope that we can all declare that God is our true shepherd. And the Lord bless his word. Let's just bow our heads in prayer as we as the band comes up. Almighty God, we thank you, Father, that you are the true shepherd, the one who cares even beyond giving up his, your own life. Lord God, we pray that as we go forward from here, that we listen to the one voice, the true voice that you give us. We thank you, God, that you have given us the true shepherd. And I just pray, Lord God, that not only us here who have heard this message are convicted, but we take this message to those who haven't heard it, so they are convicted as well. We thank you for your precious blood spilt on that cross and the grace that you give us. In your precious son's name I pray. Amen.